down, why don't we turn together to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be looking today at Proverbs 24, at least that's where we're going to begin. And uh, the reason for that, we'll be launching back into our series in Romans at long last to finish it out, uh, starting in Romans 15 through Romans 16, which will take us with breaks from Easter and other things uh, to the very last Sunday before the amphitheater service. So starting um, a week from this next Sunday, we will be going to Romans. But the reason we're going to Proverbs for today is that, as most of you know, this is kind of the sanctity of life season for the evangelical world. Last week was actually the official sanctity of life Sunday, but we're going to be talking about it today. And it's a good thing that we do it every year because there are few issues about which we uh, ought to feel more strongly than about the sanctity of human life, from conception to birth, from the cradle to the grave. And there are a few issues about which I feel more strongly, and I've got kind of a vested interest in this because back when my grandmother was pregnant with my mother, the doctor told my grandmother that if she went forward with the birth, she'd probably lose her life. And she didn't, it was a different culture. She said, well, duh, I've, I've had 20-some years and this child hasn't seen the light of day, so what's the priority here? She went ahead and had my mom. I wouldn't be here today if uh, it were another day, perhaps, anyway. And so, for various reasons, there are a few issues about which I feel more strongly. And, to be quite honest, few issues that can make me uh, more fleshly uh, than this one. And today I'd like to talk not just about the strong side of it, where we should feel strongly, but about the flesh side of it too. The right response and the wrong response. And we're going to hold both in tension. About fighting for life, as I've titled this message, while not making a God of life. You know, for almost three decades, I've gotten up here on Sanctity of Life Sunday to rally the troops and, you might say, and to offer hope to those who are struggling with guilt because it is not the unforgivable sin to have an abortion. But whenever I do get up here each year, it opens up kind of a wound on the inside, almost an inconsolable grief. I don't know if you've experienced it. I know some of you have about what's going on, uh, especially if you've had an abortion and are working through the consequences of that. And there's also uh, an anger that comes in me as well. I mean, we're talking like, I think it's up to 53 million babies that have been slaughtered in the U.S. alone since R.V. Wade in 1973. 53 million. And that stirs up sometimes really a rage in me, which is not always completely righteous, which is also what I'd like to talk about today. It reminds me of what the great Roman author Seneca said. He said that there are crimes so evil that if you expect a man to be as angry as the baseness of those crimes require, then he must not only be angry but go insane. Ever felt that way? I have. I've felt that way a lot over the last 40 years since that day of infamy in 1973 when the Supreme Court legalized abortion. But I've learned over those same years... (laughs) through all the ups and downs, through all of my failures, that there is a fine line between righteous indignation and fleshly indignation. And we must be very careful to understand the difference. And I fear that more than we know, we in the pro-life camp uh, have uh, gone insane sometimes. And that is not good. Or at least our anger has gotten a lot more fleshly than we might realize. 
And two things happen when we respond to this issue in a way that's not righteous. Well, a lot of things, but among them, bottom line in a lot of ways, first, we make abortion the unforgivable sin. We might say it's not unforgivable, but our anger, our intensity, our wrath speaks louder than our words. And so women are left feeling like they've committed the unforgivable sin. I'll never get over it. And, uh, and we condemn women to a, a lifetime sometimes uh, of unresolved guilt and inconsolable grief. A grief that comes from the devil who brings on a grief, Paul said, that leads to death. Not the righteous, clean repentance of the Holy Spirit that leads to life. We're agents of the devil sometimes. And two, we come across in a way that does a great disservice to a far, far higher cause, and that is the cause we're going to see today of winning the lost. You know, someone asked Francis Schaeffer once, who was at the very vanguard of this whole uh, uh, anti-abortion movement, and God's used him powerfully, but God, someone asked him once how he kept his balance in the context of all of these huge battles that he was fighting, and he said, well, I always remind me, and I'll never forget him saying this at Labrie in Switzerland, he said, whenever there's a dragon in front of me that I'm fighting, there's always going to be a dragon behind me that'll consume me if I'm not careful. There are two dragons, always, that we're fighting. And if the dragon in front of us is the Holocaust, as we call it, and it really is the Holocaust that we call abortion, then as we rally the troops, you know, once again on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, we must never forget that the dragon behind those who are fighting for life is making a god of life, which can be just as destructive in other ways. It can be eternally destructive. And it can be destructive to the souls of wounded women and to the souls of the lost who happen to be pro-choice and who are turned away from Christ by our flesh. Today we'll be talking about fighting for life. Again, without making a God of life, two commands that we've got to hold in tension. It's what's called balanced biblical Christianity, BBC. You can't launch out with the truth without eventually meeting the counter-truth. And if you're not aware of that, that's what all heresy is. And we've been heretical sometimes in our actions, I'm afraid. First, um, fighting for life. That's Proverbs 12. Uh, verse 11 and 12. And God says in no uncertain terms that we are to fight for life. It's in, uh, again, verse 11, rescue those, deliver those who are being taken away to death. And those who are stumbling to slaughter, oh, hold them back. If you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay a man according to his work? Marching orders deliver those who are being taken away to death. These the verses that we're about uh, uh, these verses are in a section of Proverbs, in a two chapter section. Just to put it in context, where Solomon trains us in a very practical way to think consequentially when we make decisions. Think consequentially. Think about future consequences. For instance, he says in 22, verse 22, he says, Do not rob the poor, for the Lord will plead their cause and take the life of those who rob them. That is, there will be consequences for exploiting the poor, so just don't do it. And then he says in 22, 24, Do not associate with a man given to anger, lest you learn his ways. That is, think consequentially about your friends. Because you'll become like him if you associate too closely with him. And that might not be good for you if that's one of your struggles. 
And then in verse 11 and 12, there are many other examples, but in 11 and 12, we have another warning about consequences. And these verses address the issue of genocide, the issue of mass murder. Uh, The Lord put them in the Scripture to teach His people what they ought to do about something that happens somewhere in the world in every generation. Whether it be, you know, the children's sacrifice to idols that happened uh, in, even in Solomon's day or the, to the, or the Holocaust back in the 40s uh, with the Jews or the Cambodian uh, killing fields uh, in the 60s or Uganda or Rwanda or Somalia or, or just as bad in America with the slaughter of the unborn. The main point of these verses is the same point as the overall uh, two-chapter section that they're in, and that is this. Do something or suffer the consequences. Deliver those who are being taken away to death. The, the command is simple, and it's, uh, it's unavoidable. When it comes to genocide, Christians, God-fearers, who know that these babies, these people, are made in the image of God, the most precious thing in the universe is being slaughtered, our marching orders is to deliver them. Not much explaining of the, of the Scripture needed here. Not much, you know, exegesis. Maybe just an explaining of our excuses. And so, just to, so we don't just miss the point, just so we don't miss His passion, He follows the command with a plea. And those who are staggering to slaughter, this is the New American Standard Version, He says, oh, hold them back. This is pretty important. Those mothers who are you know, staggering to the clinics, many of whom are alone, many of whom are desperate, few of whom really, really know what they're doing or what the consequences are going to be. Oh, hold them back, he's saying. Delay the women, deliver the children, do something about the Holocaust. And then he goes on to say, if you say, see, we did not know this, German Christians said this about the Jews. See, we did not know this. They did know. They just didn't think about it. God-fearers always, at least who call themselves God-fearers, you always have this reaction. People say, see, we did not know this. It's typical of what happens with genocide. So he addresses it. He He says, see, we did not know this. Verse 12, does he not consider it who weighs your hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render a man according to his works? Think consequentially. Don't say you don't know. Or that you forgot, you know, or that you're too busy. I struggle with this myself. Or that it's just just not your, you know, not uh, not your thing. Not your social issue. Because he says, I know. I know your heart. I keep your soul. And so I know you know what's going on. And I will hold you responsible for what you know. Never forget this phrase. Apathy is complicity. Apathy is complicity, especially in a democracy where we have both the right and the responsibility to do something. And if you're not already doing something, well, you'll hear about more of what you can do in a very simple and a very powerful way uh, that won't take much time uh, at the end of the service. So on one hand, and I could wax eloquent, wax fleshly, maybe, about that till kingdom come. On one hand, the one side of the truth is that we must fight for life. 
And this passage rises up against apathy. But there is a counter-truth. There's another, pa- uh, another passage, many other passages, in fact. Uh, the one I'd like to focus on, if you turn there, is to Romans chapter 1. It's a counter-truth, kind of a counter-doctrine. Doctrine is so important to balance biblical Christianity. A counter-doctrine that guards us against the insanity. (laughs) Against a kind of fleshly insanity among those of us who don't struggle with apathy. uh, Because while we fight for life, we must recognize that there are higher, much higher values than the right to life. And God has far more important purposes than just saving lives. Purposes that in His sovereignty, He is accomplishing through this genocide. So don't act like a corned animal, like all is lost. No, God is in it, working great good through it. The Scripture teaches that when it comes to abortion, we must hold them back, but we must hold them back in a way that furthers His purposes, which is what Romans 1 is all about. His purposes in allowing these things to happen. And He is in control. And His purposes go far deeper than any right-wing political agenda. It's like the angel that came up to Joshua and he asked, Joshua asked him, who's the angel of God in charge of the Lord of all the heavenly hosts? He said, whose side are you on? He said, we're not on either side. We are on the Lord's side. That is, we're not politicized. There's a higher agenda here. It's God's agenda. So do you know what God's agenda is that's deeper than any political agenda? Are you furthering His purposes as you fight for life? You'll find it all over the place in Scripture, and they add up to far more verses on the other side of the truth than you'll find on the sanctity of life side of the truth, which is interesting. Romans 1, for instance, let's back it up. Let's kind of immerse ourselves in sound biblical doctrine like, you know, rods in a nuclear reactor, right? So that we don't explode. Romans 1, and we'll read 18 to 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And so we're pointing our finger. They're without excuse. Oh, no, 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 wait. That's not the application of this passage. It's exactly the opposite. It's not judgment, it's mercy that's the application of this passage. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Yeah, there are a lot of fools out there who think they're doing God's work with abortion. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And they made a God of animals. They made a God of human choice. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Things getting worse, it's all God's doing. God gave them up to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God about a, uh, for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women who were cons- and were consumed with passion for one another and were saying, Amen, judge them, God. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This is, you know what this is. But the receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error is not judgment, it's mercy. Let's read on first. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, that's abortion, among other things. And he's saying, this is God's doing. Under it all. Listen to me before you leave. Murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inveterates of evil. Amen. Disobedient to parents. Amen and amen. (laughs) Foolish, faithless, heartless, rootless. Though they knew God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those that practice them. That's Planned Parenthood. Now, this is pretty hard and foundational teaching. But it's important that we ground ourselves here. Obviously, we can't unpack it all today. And in some ways, I'm glad we don't have to. But we went through this two years ago. So let me just sum it up. The bottom line of all that I read, we found out over many weeks a couple of years ago, is that there is nothing outside of his control. Even what's happened in our country when it comes to morality. As it says in the passage, God gave them over to it. Even the worst evil furthers his purposes. After the pattern of the cross, the worst evil ever perpetrated, the slaughter of the Son of God, brought about the great, greatest good. It furthers his purposes. In fact, he allows evil to increase through what you might call, as we called it back then, the wrath of his withdrawal. Remember that? The wrath of his withdrawal to accomplish his purposes. And one of those purposes is this. Most people, uh, you and me included, won't really change without pain, right? Fundamental psychological principle, even among Christians. We won't stop worshiping other gods unless we're motivated by the pain that comes, you know, as a direct result of worshiping those other gods. Usually things will have to get a lot worse before they'll get better. And so in his love... Through the wrath uh, of his withdrawal, he'll let things get worse to bring us to our senses and back to him. It's like C.S. Lewis said, we'll either say, uh, thy will be done, or he'll say, all right then, have it your way. And see where that gets you. And just like with the prodigal son, he'll be there when you hit bottom. He does this both to individuals and he does this to whole uh, societies. So, what's the dragon behind us when it comes to uh, the defense of life? Well, again, among other things, it's that in fighting for life, we must not make sure that we don't make a god of life. Or we're violating Romans 1. We're worshiping the god of life, and look what happens. And our passage for today destroys that idol, the right to life, in a rather alarming way. Remember that? He gave them over to murder. 
God gave them over to murder, which is just what's happening today. He's saying, okay then, have it your way. I'll give you your fill of your own ways. And it started with a sexual revolution. A whole generation was, you know, hoodwinked by the free sex movement of the 60s. And look what it's left in its wake as God gave them over. This whole culture of death that God gave us over to, climaxing in murder. Thousands and thousands of broken marriages thanks to the sexual revolution. A sharp rise in teenage pregnancies. This is Romans 1 in real life. Uh, a multi-billion dollar uh, pornographic industry, an epidemic of sexually transmitted diseases, and millions of millions uh, uh, of abortions. These are all the natural consequences that God has given us over to, and through which He seeks, as we saw way back then, to bring men and women to their senses, to bring them back to Him. That's a good part of his agenda through all of this, through the wrath of his withdrawal, through the severe mercy, you might say, by which he withholds his restraining grace on society that keeps earth from becoming hell on earth too soon to give them a taste of life without him. A taste of hell before it's too late. And through all of these, his agenda is not to judge them permanently, not yet is to discipline them temporarily by giving them over to the consequences of their folly so they'll turn, so he won't have to judge them permanently. That's Romans 1 and 2. Because, you see, his deepest purpose, his highest goal, is the salvation of the soul. And to that end, he brings the consequences of their sin on their heads so they'll turn and live. You see it all over the place in Scripture. Just like it says in Ezekiel 33, Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. You are saying our sins are heavy upon us. We are wasting away. How can we survive? He, he made it heavy on them. He gave them the consequences of it. Why did he do it? Well, as surely as I live, says the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. You might want the death of wicked people. I do not want it. Right? Why is your sin heavy on you? Why have I given you over? I take no pleasure. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. He's working on them. And he wants us to work with him to that agenda. Turn, turn from your wicked ways. O oh, people of Israel, why should you die? Turn to my life-giving ways. That's his agenda. And so to the women who are dying on the inside because of a horrible mistake they made and a post-abortion trauma and all the rest, God is saying, why should you, why should you die? Turn to my life-giving way. Just repent, and I'll flood you with my mercy and my healing, and I'll bring a far greater good. It's not the unforgivable sin. To the medical personnel who do abortions, who suffer, many of them, from nightmares and who, who get into drugs and, and alcohol to drown all that out. It's like a post-traumatic stress syndrome that they experience. God is saying, why should you die? Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. To societies whose you know, birth rates have fallen behind the population replacement levels, which is a serious, serious issue, thanks in good part to abortion. He's saying, why should you die? Turn to my life-giving ways. Be fruitful and multiply like I commanded you. Don't be selfish. Be like the Muslims. They're taking over because they're doing what I told mankind to do. 
God allows sin to increase. He ordains it so grace can abound. That's out of Romans 2, right? And finally, have some effect among men and women who would otherwise think they, would, they don't need Him. And so to this end, He even gives them over to murder like He's done with us. And what that means is this. God, anyway, does not idolize life. And the question that raises is this. Yes, they're making a God of choice. But have we made a God of babies? Have we idolized babies? You can idolize anything. If you value saving babies more than saving souls, maybe you've made an idol of them. You've made a God of earthly life, which Solomon says is just like a vapor. A God that may be keeping us as a political wing uh, from pursuing His deeper purposes. And one of those purposes is this, far more than being a political issue, this whole abortion thing is a spiritual opportunity, and we've got to craft every strategy with that in mind, with deeper purposes than babies. I hate to put it this way, but those babies are going to go to heaven. But there are other souls that are going to hell. Doesn't that say it all? And which do you care more about? And what about those desperate mothers and fathers and the nurses and the doctors and the, and the self-deceived judges and the politicians who have been swept up in this whole demonic culture of death? Yes, we must deliver those who are being taken away to death, but in our delivering them, we must equally uh, be concerned about those who are being swept away in other ways, many of them into eternal damnation. Marvin Olasky puts it this way. Let's see how the rubber meets the road. How do you apply this? Well, Marvin Olasky is one of the editors of World Magazine, which is kind of like a Time magazine, a Christian Time magazine. And um, he wrote an article on protesting abortion called The Model Protest. Here's my model protest, he's saying. The idea being, yes, we must continue to protest abortion, but we must be careful how we do it. And here's what I think should go into a model protest. He subtitled it, Adding a Dash of Salt to This Year's Commemoration of Roe v. He said, the frequent biblical metaphor of Christians as salt is apt, not only because salt is both a preservative and a flavoring, but because two elements that make up salt, NaCl, sodium and chlorine, are both poisonous when ingested by themselves. And either side of this doctrine, if we don't bring them together, can be poisonous, either apathy or fleshly anger. He says, bring these together into salt. Both are poisonous when ingested by themselves. Salty protests, though, highlight what God opposes, but, which is deliver them, but also show in words and style what God proposes, and that is acceptance of His mercy. His deepest agenda through this. And then he goes on to say that his ideal pro-life demonstration, you know, at an abortion clinic would include protesters winsomely providing information about abortion alternatives and no bullhorns allowed. Why? He said, some biased souls will see Christians as loudmouths no matter how we act. And we know that, so we just say, well, it doesn't matter, we're going to be loudmouths, right? No, 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 no. 
He says, but we should not make it easy for them. And if we do, we're hurting rather than helping the cause of Christ. Protesters who seem hateful to troubled women because they appear to offer condemnation rather than hope are not helping the cause of Christ, the Romans one cause of Christ. We've got to remember that hatred is not a family value. Maybe, just maybe, we need to apologize. This is from an article titled, Why I Apologize to Planned Parenthood. Now, before you leave, let me read it. Okay? It's by a woman named Jamila Monroe. Just listen. My junior year of college, I got pregnant. I was married, but the top layer of my wedding cake had barely frozen, and unwritten thank you cards lay strewn on my living room carpet. I wasn't ready to get married. I certainly wasn't prepared for pregnancy and parenthood. From the moment I saw the second pink line faintly glimmering on my pregnancy test, certainty gripped me that abortion was not an option. I simply could not lose my baby without losing myself. As my pregnancy progressed, I watched my smooth, flat tummy turn into a bulging basketball. Amen, women? And, of course, it gets worse. And then into a giant globe with roads and rivers of stretch marks crisscrossing everywhere. (laughs) Knowing the pregnancy was unexpected, my friends weren't sure whether to congratulate me or to mourn with me. Whenever I swiped my card in the cafeteria or hauled my huge self to class at, at, at my evangelical college, I got raised eyebrows from students who assumed I got into my interesting condition via some premarital tryst in the bushes. My professor learned to expect my middle-class dashes, my, my mid-class dashes to the bathroom. When I returned to my bioethics class once after one such interruption, the topic was abortion. A class member was playing devil's advocate. He said, what if a 12-year-old girl who didn't know what she was doing um, is pregnant? Can you make her carry the pregnancy to term when she's literally a child? From across the room, I heard a girl mutter angrily, abortion is murder. Several hands nodded, heads nodded righteously with no compassion in their eyes. I shivered in the blustery wind on my way home from class. My physically and emotionally difficult unplanned pregnancy instilled mercy in me. It instilled mercy in me for women in desperate situations who make desperate decisions. Deep in my belly, churning with life, grew the conviction that I must do something to help other women. My third trimester, I volunteered at a local crisis pregnancy center. I wish I could read it all, but I'll have to skip around. Despite the profound and plentiful blessings of working with needy women, I noticed an attitude among some staff members that disturbed me. One coworker frequently commented about how pro-abortion people hold and promote their view only because they feel guilty about something in their past that they're trying to to defend. That's why they're so angry. I believe this may be often true, but I have friends and relatives who support abortion rights and are thoughtful, caring, down-to-earth people without any more complexities than the average American. And they're not promoting an idea to appease a guilty conscience. They believe they're helping women and sparing what they view as merely potential children from suffering. My little Nika was born with six fingers on each hand. People are uncomfortable asking about it, but most lighten up when they see their father, Ron, and me joking easily about her extra digits. When Nika does something cool, our faces brighten and we say, Yeah, give me six. 
And everyone breaks up laughing, including Nika. We've been told she'll get made fun of, so we're considering having a nice plastic surgeon cut off one of the extras off. One day, Ron and I consulted a doctor about this, and on our way home from the medical village, we drove by a Planned Parenthood clinic. I felt a pit of grief in my stomach for the loss of life within that cheery, the cheery exterior walls of its building, and with, uh, and with it a temptation to demonize the people who participate in these death acts. Then I recalled the hushed judgments of my peers from my bioethics class in my evangelical college. I prayed and was shown through a window in my heart the humanity of the workers and women who frequented the, who frequented the clinic. Suddenly, my husband Ron said out of the blue, Hey, let's go in there and talk to them. Talk to them? No, no, no. no. We vote against them. We point the finger at them. We don't cross the divide. They're not even really human deep down inside, right? Let's go in and talk to them. Yeah, let's do it, I said, ready for a Jesus adventure. But let's stop a second and think about this. I mean, what are we going to say, he asked. Well, we can tell them that we're pro-life, I responded, and we can ask their forgiveness. We can ask their forgiveness for all the, in behalf of all the Christians who've been judgmental or unkind to them, I responded. I prayed, God, help us be a bridge of love, understanding, truth, and grace. And with amen, I stepped out of our Subaru Forester, unbuckled Nika from her infant seat, swept her over my shoulder, and set out with Ron for planned parenthood. <laughs> The receptionist asked, can I help you? I stuttered a little and shuddered on the inside as I glimpsed the woman in scrubs disappear down a narrow, fluorescently lit hallway. I explained to the receptionist, well, receptionist, actually we're Christian and very pro-life, but we're here to say we're sorry for all the people who are mean to you guys. This is not how Christians should behave, and we feel deeply sad about it. Ron chimed in, It's not right for believers in Jesus to judge you or to despise you. It's just awful, and we wanted you to know that we don't hate you or believe you're terrible people. The receptionist took a moment to collect herself and then responded with a quivering sigh. I can't tell you how much that means. My uncle won't talk to me because, of, because I work here. You have no idea how many hateful, awful things Christians say and do to me. I don't hope people get an abortion. I hope we can get them to use birth control. We're just trying to avoid having babies thrown in trash heaps. We briefly exchanged our different views of when life begins and then thanked the receptionist for letting us stop by. She thanked us profusely for coming with a happy look of disbelief on her face. She smiled and gave a grandmotherly wave bye-bye to Nika and told us we were welcome to visit any time. And then she concludes, I may have knee-jerk reactions to what seem like lame excuses for taking human life, but I cannot deny the sincerity of this Planned Parenthood senior employee. I never imagined I'd leave an abortion clinic feeling good. <laughs> but I did in a sad and hopeful sort of way. My heart was filled with pain over children whose lives end in that place and their mothers who will grieve silently for so long 
Yet a prayer of thanks stirred in me because, and listen to this, a bridge of humanity was built across the great divide of pro-choice and pro-life. That's the same bridge God built many years ago when He sent Christ to die. That's what I'm talking about today. Even as we fight for life, we must build a bridge of humanity across the great gulf that's dividing our country. Because the love of God stretched across just such a gulf, indeed a far greater one, to save the likes of you and me. And we murdered His Son. Did He demonize us? And yet still, you could preach on that forever, right? And if you do that, it becomes heresy. And so bringing it back. And yet still, we are under strict orders to do something, as we've seen. And there's one thing we can do that will more than any other do all of this that we've been talking about in the right way with mercy. In this year of going passionately, there's one thing which more than any other will help us make fight for life without making a God a life really the most important thing that we most often neglect. And that is prayer. It's how we build a bridge of humanity across the great gulf that separates our country because through prayer, God changes our hearts and instills in us His agenda and His emotions and His feelings. It's the secret power that alone can change the human heart. A man convinced against his will is what? Of the same opinion still. And we're pointing all the fingers at them, convincing them against their will, and they're of the same opinion still. No, prayer is what changes hearts. It's the the slender nerve, as we say, that moves the, the, the mighty arm of God. It's our most powerful weapon. And I think that's why The Women's Resource Center of the Rockies this year is really focusing on that. They're doing something in so many ways, in such a loving way, and that's what they're asking for this year is nothing more, nothing less. What they're asking for is prayer. You'll see a bulletin insert if you'll take it out of your bulletins. that says in large letters at the, uh, on the front side, pray, pray P-R-A-Y, um, pray for the unborn. And then on the back it says, prayer can close an abortion clinic. Prayer can transform an abortionist into a life giver. Prayer can show a struggling couple that the life entrusted to them can be a blessing. Prayer can give a pregnancy center volunteer words of love that penetrate fear and shame on and on. And what I'd like you to consider to do today is this as a result of all of this. To commit to put uh, this in your Bible or wherever you have your devotions uh, for one year. Date it today. And then date it next Sanctity of Life Sunday and put a dash between those two. And commit when you have your devotions just to pray. And this will give you some things to pray for until next Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I've got some extra copies up here if you'd like them. Now, we're going to take a minute 
to pray for Jill uh, Soror, who's with us today. She's the director of the Women's uh, Resource Center of the Rockies. And what we're going to do to close this service is this. I'll have her come up uh, in just a bit, and she'll share a few prayer requests. And then if you've decided to make that commitment, to put this in your Bible, and to pray uh, every day uh, for this whole issue, I'd like you to signify your commitment to go passionately through the prayer closet to pray by coming up here so that we can all gather around Jill and lay hands on her and pray for her. You don't have to pray out loud, but uh, you can if you want. But at least pray silently as, as we pray for her and we pray for the Men, a Women's Resource Center. But Jill, why don't you just uh, share with us a couple of requests before we, uh, before we it should be. Thanks, Brian, so much. And, and thank you guys for listening and um, taking this to heart. Um, as the director this year, I put by my desk... Um, a quote that I found that I needed desperately, and that was to rely on prayer and God to change people. And um, that's what prompted um, this, because I realized all the talking in the world isn't going to isn't gonna do it. But um, there are some prayer requests in on that prayer card, and um, we've also just recently learned we are now in need of... Um, uh, a medical director and sonographer. Again, we had um, somebody that was willing to do our ultrasounds, but she's no longer able to help us with that. So um, if you could keep that in prayer, that we would uh, receive the right people and um, that they would come forward. And also, um, God has on my heart heavy those women that are still sitting in bondage to uh, the abortion experience they might have had. And um, we just really would love you to pray with us, to have them come forward, to feel safe, to realize we are a safe uh, place to come, and um, that they would find us. So thank you guys so much. Amen. Thank you, Jill. Come on down. And just lay your hands on Jill, or if you can't reach her, Lay them on the one who's in front of you. And Jill, we want to thank you for what you do. You are in the trenches, and we are going to back you. And um, just make sure that uh, you pray silently with whoever does pray. pray. And then uh, maybe, Patty, if you could start, and I'll, uh, I'll close after uh, a few minutes. Let's pray together. for babies uh, to live, but also for women um, who have been scarred by abortion to um, understand that there's grace and huge forgiveness beyond anything that they could ever imagine. Father, we do want to thank you for this um, powerful way that you've given us to make a difference, to go passionately without ever even leaving our homes. 
And so, Father, I pray for those who made this commitment that, um, that they would make good on it and that you would prompt them and that you would guide them as just briefly each day they lift up prayer for, for this issue, however you would lead them. And, Father, we uh, do lift up our sister Jill, and she is really out there in front. She is a target for some wicked, wicked forces of darkness that are, uh, know how to push human buttons. Father, we do not struggle against flesh and blood. The enemy is not people. The enemy is the devil. And so we pray that you'd bind and rebuke the evil one as he will attack her and as he has, and that you would be a shield about her and that, that uh, you would hear our prayers and that they would result in a real force of your spirit shielding her and empowering her from within and guiding and her, directing her to further your agenda through uh, this cause. And thank you for how you have done that in some very remarkable ways. And so we lift her up to you. And uh, we lift up the women. We lift up the children. We lift up the nation. And pray, Father, that, uh, that your agenda would be accomplished and that we would turn to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why don't we all stand together? If you need one of these, I'll be at the back handing them out. And don't forget about our worship conflab time of talking and hearing about the vision of where we're going over pizza in just a few minutes. But go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men and women. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us and through us all. Amen and amen. See you soon.